Job worries continue to pervade, you know, so many uh, parents' minds right now that they're really limiting their spending. So our sense is it's going to be soft, and these July numbers aren't the type of momentum that retailers want to see building into the back-to-school selling season. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, August 13th. That was Ken Perkins, president of Retail Metrics, you heard at the top. On the show today, we wade into one of the most controversial topics around. In fact, I'm just going to give out our email here because I know (laughs) just about everyone's going to want to send us an email. Here it is, planetmoney at npr.org. Yes, this is a topic so thick with heated rhetoric that it is almost impossible to chew through to the facts at the center and try to present them as objectively as possible. Am I referring to the Arab-Israeli conflict, pro-choice versus pro-life? Is it okay to wear white after Labor Day? No, no, and no. Today, we're going to be discussing net neutrality. And don't worry for those of you who aren't veterans of tech blog comment section flame wars. We will also (laughs) explain just what the hell net neutrality is. But first, the indicator. The indicator is 9%. That is how fast Germany's economy grew in the second quarter annualized the fastest since German reunification. That is crazy. You expect emerging economies, you know, sometimes to grow that fast, like China or India. But Germany, 9% growth? Yes, it is crazy. And that is why no one thinks it's going to continue. 9% is the rate on an annual basis. It was 2.2% if you just look at this quarter. I saw a headline in a German paper that said proudly, economy thunders ahead. But then it went on to quote an economist who expected growth to be Oh, 3% for the year, which is more normal and actually pretty good in the current climate. All right, David, shall we plow ahead, net neutrality? Yep. All right. So we're talking about net neutrality because earlier this week, Google and Verizon came out with a proposal for new legislation regulating the internet. Uh, And I'm holding it here right now. It is two pages long. There is a lot of language about ensuring equal access and preserving the internet as we know it. And yet the reaction... I'll just read you some sample headlines. You ready? The Google Verizon proposal is worse than evil or how the Google Verizon proposal could kill the Internet in five years. There are many more like this. All you have to do is, well, Google them. Now, most of the outrage over the Google Verizon proposal comes down to one phrase. The proposal says that Internet service providers could, under certain circumstances, engage in, and here's the phrase, quote, traffic prioritization. Traffic prioritization, that is a code word in a debate that has been raging for over a decade now, the debate over net neutrality. So let's try and give some kind of definition for net neutrality. Let's do it. So net neutrality, it's basically the way things are now. It is built into the architecture of the Internet. Everything that travels on the Internet gets sent as a series of tiny packets of information, and the Internet doesn't care what they are. It doesn't give preferential treatment. It loves them all equally. There is none of what Google and Verizon is proposing, traffic prioritization. The Internet treats all packets neutrally. So imagine looking at the Internet cable. Swish, there's a data packet from Goldman Sachs Quarterly Report. I love you. I'll get you there as fast as possible. Swish, there's a bit of a porn video. I'll get you there. Swish, a packet from a Facebook page. Swish, part of an email. Swish, from some video. Wait, are you telling me there's porn on the Internet? (laughs) It's actually swish porn, swish porn, (laughs) swish porn, swish Goldman Sachs, swish email, swish porn. And you could argue that this system, this is something straight out of an economist's fantasy. This is a world without barriers to entry, where everyone has access to the marketplace. Every new idea is equal. There are no 
barriers to entry, the best idea survives. Give me an example. All right. But to give you an example, we're going to have to go to a special place. Follow me. Hello. So, Dave, Dave, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, yeah, I can, I can see you, too. <laughs> That's right. We are inside the Internet. <laughs> I'm at my computer, you're at your computer, and we are having a video chat over the Internet using Skype. Now, Skype is in many ways the poster child for the benefits of net neutrality. So less than 10 years ago, every big rich phone company and video company was trying to figure out how to do this, how to do video over the Internet. And yet... It was three programmers working in Estonia who developed Skype, and they blew everyone else out of the water. And one reason is they had the same access to the Internet that everyone else had. They had the best idea, they grew, and they won. One out of eight international phone calls is now placed through Skype. Did you hear that or did I cut out? No, you, <laughs> you heard, I heard it. And that is great. So how might this change? Well, let's go back to that Google-Verizon deal and that phrase that upset so many people, traffic prioritization. All right, now let's just imagine that the, my internet service provider has now cut a deal with Google. Google is paying them money. They would be able to give priority to Google. So they would be able to say, oh, here comes a packet from Google. Everybody else, all you other packets, wait, 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 let Google go through. Very nice to see you, sir. Okay, now the rest of you can go. This worries Scott Holliday. He's an economist at the Institute for Policy Integrity at NYU Law School. What if Gmail is slightly faster than this new internet service, internet mail service that's out there? And so the risk is that we're going to kind of stall the internet with the current big players in place and make it more difficult for new entrepreneurs to come in and enter the market. And so part of what makes the internet such an exciting place is that new content, new applications can come online at a relatively low cost. And so the next um, Gmail, the next Google could be out there. But in a world where Google has an advantage and can get to your computer faster than the new startup entrepreneur, we've reduced competition on the content side. Or even worse, and this is something that gets a lot of discussion on the Internet. Suppose the company providing my Internet service, my service provider, say it wanted to get into the video chat business and it wanted to get rid of its competitors, it could take action against Skype and slow Skype down, or make it have all sorts of dropouts. <clears throat> Sorry, so now we're out of the internet. What I was saying is the service provider could slow Skype down. So even if Skype were a better program, it could get crushed. And that is not the economist's dream. That's the economist's nightmare, where the best idea gets crushed by the guy with the most money. It's not in the interest of an internet service provider to stifle content. That's Scott Walston, an economist with the Technology Policy Institute. He clearly is not in favor of net neutrality. He doesn't buy this argument that service providers will stifle content because, he says, it just doesn't make economic sense for them to do it. More content increases demand um, for their service. And the, you know, the more demand there is for the service, the more they can charge for it. Um, and the more people will sign up for it. Uh, so they, you know, they, they don't want to be in the business of picking and choosing who gets to be on their network because that only you know, devalues their network. Now, Scott Holliday, the other economist named Scott in this podcast, the first one who's pro-net neutrality, he disagrees. He says Internet providers would actually have an incentive to pick and choose, to slow traffic down. So remember, they want to sell content providers a priority service. 
But if the priority service looks just like regular service, then nobody would buy the priority service. So to get people to buy priority service, the service providers would have an incentive to make the regular internet worse. That's when all of a sudden the incentive flips and all of a sudden capacity crunches make them money. And that's the disincentive that, that I personally worry about. Now, Alex Scott Halliday admits he is sort of in a minority here, at least among economists. There aren't actually a lot of economists making his point because for them, there's a simple solution. Old-fashioned competition. You don't like your internet service provider? Just go down the street. Yeah, the problem there is we actually don't have enough competition. I am like most people in the country. I have exactly two choices that I can use to get on the internet, my phone company and my cable company. And something like a quarter of the people in the country have no choice. They have just one provider. So the mainstream economists will argue, let's fix that. Allow more competition. Don't impose some clumsy law about how packets of information are handled. If the public likes a net neutrality system that treats all packets alike, they'll choose that. But if a traffic prioritization system leads to a cheaper internet or one people like better, they'll choose that. And that last thing that you just said about how traffic prioritization could lead to a better internet, that's this one aspect of the net neutrality debate that I find really interesting. So you've got people in favor of net neutrality saying, we love the internet. That's why we need net neutrality to keep it the way it is. But then the people on the other side say, no, no, we love the internet too. And net neutrality is keeping it from getting better. Right. They argue net neutrality is not some economist dream where everything is equal. It's a stupid and arbitrary engineering choice. Maybe things should be prioritized on the Internet. And now, Alex, to demonstrate the net neutrality is bad argument, we're going to go into the Internet again and use exactly the same program, Skype. <laughs> I love that music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How do I look? Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest, a little a little grainy, pixelated, and the audio, especially if I blow you up, you're not so good, and the audio is a little delayed. Yeah. It's a little choppy, right? Yeah. Right. So now imagine we do away with neutrality. We prioritize. We let video go through faster. Maybe the company sending it has to pay a fee, or maybe I have to pay a little more as a user. But just imagine what this could be like. I could be coming to you in full 3D stereo. You could smell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll keep net neutrality in that case. <laughs> Here's Scott Walston. You know, I mean, there are companies that want to do that already. I mean, if, you, you know, if you've seen Cisco's advertisements for the, what they call their telepresence system, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's just, it's an awesome video conferencing system where they, you know, they sell not just the, it's not just software, but they you know, sell the screens and the furniture to go with it. So, you know, you're sitting in front of these giant screens and, you know, you're sitting at a table that's the same kind of table as the people on the other side are sitting at. And, you know, it's literally like you're sitting there talking to them. Um, but that can't work on the public Internet because you, you need this, you know, you, you need this quality HD feed. And it's, again, it's an example of why speed itself doesn't matter because each one of their screens can work with about five megabits per second. Um, you know, which is lower than a uh, slower than a typical you know, home connection these days, um, but it's got to be consistent, and you know, it can't. There can't be any delays, um, or else, you know, because when you're talking to somebody across the table, they don't they don't usually freeze and you know break up into pixels. Now, David, back in the real world, it's worth mentioning that since we use Skype to demonstrate both the pro and the anti net neutrality argument, they are actually pro net neutrality. They want to keep the internet the way it is now neutral. They don't want traffic prioritization. So 
I feel like you often hear these two worldviews, right? One is that getting rid of net neutrality is the end of the world as we know it. The other is that it's the beginning of an even new and better world. I would like to propose a third alternative, which is that could well be that it's neither. Getting rid of net neutrality might not make that much difference to people on a daily basis. You're not fun in a flame war, are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let us know what you think. Send us email. We're at planetmoney at npr.org. And check out our blog. We will link to both our economist papers about net neutrality, pro and con, on our blog at npr.org slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening.